this I had this kind of realization that this is this is what I was like before. Coming up on It's Not Human Sexuality. At least my experience of being on estrogen and testosterone blockers was one of having significantly more access to my feelings. Every year for Christmas, I would give him a power tool, like a, a, a drill or a saw or a sander. <laughs> <laughs> and, he looked, and finally one year he just looked at me and goes, I don't, I don't use these. And I go, I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, and then it just dawned on me, I was buying them for myself. The gender that I'm attracted to hasn't changed, although attraction itself is different as being a woman. Welcome to the latest episode of It's Not Human Sexuality. I'm Dr. Betsy Cairo, or Dr. B. And I'm Mandy Johnson. And here today, we have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Olivia Stelic. Captain Olivia Stelic is an active duty Army officer currently serving as a physical therapist for a brigade combat team at Fort Carson. She is a graduate of West Point and Ranger School, a former infantry platoon leader, and a veteran of the war in Afghanistan. She's also a proud transgender woman. In February 2019, she testified about her experiences as a transgender woman in the Army before the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Military Personnel. She has since continued to advocate for her trans military peers, as well as conduct education and advocacy for the LGBT community locally and around the country. Olivia and I crossed paths in my other life. Something that our listeners don't know about me is that I own and direct the only cryobank in Colorado called Cryogam. It was through Cryogam that I met Liv. She has decided to store sperm for potential future use. This was a really big deal because what you don't know is that Liv had transitioned about three years earlier. This meant that she had been on high doses of estrogen to override her body's production of testosterone. During this process, there are so many biological changes that occur, one of which is the body's production of sperm. When her partner asked if she would be willing to stop the estrogen to see if her sperm production would return, she agreed. We are going to explore what that process was like for her. Welcome, Liv. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So before we begin with the cryopreservation process, let's talk about your life growing up. Seriously, to go from West Point to transitioning while in the military, there is a lot to unpack here. So let's start at the beginning. You're from a military family, correct? I am. Yeah, my dad was in the Army for 20 years, actually. And? I mean, I, I grew up in a very kind of conservative, as you would imagine, in the you know 1980s, 90s, into the early 2000s, a pretty conservative, both politically and re religiously, um, military family. I had four siblings and we were all homeschooled um, and you can kind of imagine the stereotypical things about that and there were some differences we i mostly grew up in the national capital region um in northern virginia which made for a kind of different setting at least for that and i had a lot of um social exposure to different things but i was raised in a pretty conservative family and my dad had gone to west point and been in the army and i followed in that that kind of same path. And yeah, it was a pretty dramatic, slow change, but it was pretty dramatic over, over a bunch of years. We've talked a little bit about your process. You had explained to me that you were not unhappy at West Point. And uh, for that matter, you weren't really unhappy prior to transitioning. Can you elaborate on that? On, and why do you think that was? Yeah. I mean, so 
Part of it is that I just loved West Point for a whole host of reasons. I think it was just, it was a good school. It was very rigorous academically. I had small classes. And so it was a pretty comfortable transition from, I mean, I was homeschooled until I left high school, until I graduated. Um, And so to go into a fairly academically rigorous institution, but with small classes um, in, in my major and even outside my major, none of my classes had more than probably 16, 18 people. Um, and so I really thrived academically and being smart and driven was valued there. Um, I can imagine that at other places that wouldn't necessarily have been true um, or it would have been a more uh, niche kind of valuable part of who I am, but that fit really well for me. And so I think I was able to thrive in that way, even though really I had shut down a lot of my own feelings and who I am because growing up, there was no language for me. I mean, I I knew that something was up as it were, but I didn't have the words to say I'm trans or really anything beyond I think I want to be a girl, but you don't, you can't say that to anybody when you're growing up in a conservative Christian military family. Like that's not, there, there's no, even if I had had some kind of idea that this was a real thing, I still would have not said it. Um, so I think that's how I survived West Point was just, there were, there were different avenues or different parts of myself that I was able to express pretty fully. And so your, your gender identity didn't really take center stage. No, it was essentially, I just buried it. Yes. That's exactly what that, that sounds like. Right. Um, and maybe to the point where you did a good job of burying it, because I think, um, you told me that, um, your, your ex-wife is the one that got you to explore your gender expression. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, so I had said a little bit, as I had, you know, I knew something was going on, but I didn't have the words. Even after graduating college, I still didn't have the words. And at some point she she said, you know, hey, you, you probably need to go to a therapist. And I think this is maybe an actual thing, not just a small thing. And you need to figure out what it is. And when I say you figure out, I mean, go to a therapist and have them help you figure it out. Um, so that was almost 10 years ago now, actually. 10 years ago. That I first saw, yeah, that I first saw a therapist. But at the time, being trans was a disqualifying condition for the military. And I didn't have any other skills. Uh, I was only an infantry officer. I mean, I, I was a physics major, but I didn't have any, you know, real skills in terms of being hired as a physicist. There, you know, there's no like getting hired as a physicist as an undergrad person. Like that's not a real thing. Right. <laughs> um, so. So then you went, but then, um, so 10 years ago, so you made, started to make this move, this, this thought process, but you knew that if this, so when this surfaced for you, you knew that there was no, there still was no way to express it because you wanted to stay in the military. Right. Exactly. And so you did, you didn't express it. You stayed in the military and then you, you're a physical therapist. So obviously you went on for more education. I did. Yeah, I I found that there was uh, I wanted something to do after the military, and and I wanted to change what I was doing. And I looked at the life of where I was headed and the people who were kind of senior to me in the career path I was in, and 
uh, I looked at that life and I decided I didn't want that. Um, and I found I kind of had a passion for fitness and helping soldiers. And, um, and as it turns out, I had also considered the idea of being a doctor and had done a bunch of pre-med prereqs, uh, in undergrad. And so it was a pretty easy application for me to PT school. I only had to take, I think one or two classes to meet all of the prereqs for PT school, which was helpful because I was, you know, still working full time. Right. Sure. And then, and then during that whole time, this is when you were married. Is that, is that the part of that timeline? That's correct. Right. And then you have, yeah. and you have a, you have a son. I do. And, yes. And you co-parent. Yeah, eight. Eight. And, yeah, we do. Yeah. And I think that, um, so this is kind of a bittersweet story, right? At least that's kind of where I went with it when you were explaining what happened and your wife telling you at the time, hey, you need to explore this and maybe knowing at that time it might be the beginning for you, but an end for something else. And um, I, I have a lot of respect for that. I mean, I know that you do too. Yeah, it was, I think bittersweet is a really good way to put it in that she was really supportive, uh, really throughout. So we had, we kept that secret, uh, for the duration of the next six years until the DOD changed their policy on allowing open trans service. Um, because it was this thing that was career threatening for, for me, should somebody find out. Um, and that was a really difficult thing to do just in general, to try to kind of hold a secret that you couldn't really tell anyone about, um, just the two of us. And, and she, she helped me do that and was really supportive of me becoming myself. And then at some point, you know, she had to reckon with, I don't think I can, can do this. Like I need you to be you, but I don't know that we're going to be able to stay married. Um, right. So, and we ended up deciding that, or that's, that's kind of where we ended up. But yeah, we co-parent our son and he's amazing. And uh, you know, it's, I think we have, a really lucky, um, or maybe it's not luck. I think we've put a lot of intentional thought into how do you do this gracefully and still put your kids first. Right. And then the, and then there's the added wrinkle or layer, as we talked earlier about your upbringing with your family and your father being in the military, being West Point graduate, um, conservative homeschool, <laughs> you know, religious family. And then here is their, um, natal born son be you know transitioning and yeah. and you know so that's this is a lot for everybody and uh, the choices that we make about you know what what really matters in the end and i think for you um i and the things that you've told me that's kudos to your to your parents as well right i mean it's never easy no they've been remarkable I've, you know it, it has taken some time but yeah i was i was the firstborn son uh, oh, wow. You know, and I'm yeah. the only one of five who's gone into the military. So there are these kind of significant factors, I think, that were really challenging initially. But we're, you know, I came out to them, I think, in, uh, I don't know, late 2016 after the policy changed, maybe summer of 2016. And, you know, I spent Christmas with them and this year and things are good and they're not just okay things are really good they've they've really been significantly intentional about that that's great that's and that's nice that's not everybody's that fortunate you know and um no as you know 
So definitely a happy story. A very happy story. And that kind of fast forward us to where you are now. I mean, 2016 wasn't really that long ago. I mean, it probably feels like it for you. <laughs> But it's only it's five years, and so that's half your halfway mark, right? And um, yeah, and that leads you to where we are now and where we met. Um, so when you when you ended up with your um, your current partner, <clears throat> you've been together three years. No, no, we're we've been together actually a year and a, year. a half at this point. Right, and so then she, she asked you to to. Um, go off your hormones. Is that correct? Well, she, she, I would, yeah, we talked about, it. I would say that she asked a question about whether it was possible for us to one day have a kid, um, you know, a, a biological con- kid. And I honestly didn't know the answer to that question when she asked it. And that's what I said. I was, you know, I said, I actually don't know. I think right now that would be impossible, but in theory, I guess it's not impossible. And so I had to do a bunch of research. I met with my endocrinologist who I had actually not met before that. Um, and I talked to some other folks who said basically the same thing, which was that it's kind of a gamble. Nobody really knows because nobody's really done any research about whether you can come off of hormones, come off of estrogen and testosterone blockers, and then have your body start producing sperm again. Um, so, but, but my doctors all bought off on it and said, you can try if you want to. We'll refer to this as detransitioning. And, and while that is somewhat what you did, it's not really what that is because for me and in my language and in the world that we run detransitioning, especially when we talk about, um, trans community is, um, a negative concept, you know, or that you've, that people are like, well, I really wasn't. Um, gender dysphoric, or I didn't really want to transition, so I detransitioned to my natal state, and that's not your case. So I, so I don't really know if I want to use the word detransition. I think I'd rather just use the words that you just took a hormone break, <laughs> and and maybe yeah. flesh it, flesh it out that way. Because emotionally, this was a big ask. Like this was a big ask, and because I, I think on some level, I mean, I would like to hear how you felt about that emotionally. Was were there feelings of were you nervous? Were you scared? Were you um, afraid of what, you know, the the emotional feelings that, because hormones control our, you know, have a play in how we feel and right. think, right? And was that scary for you? I mean, I know that a lot of listeners would like to know what, what was that like? This is a road some of them um, have never, you know, never gone through. So it was, I think being a medical provider myself was helpful because I really mostly, I think, looked at it almost as an experiment. Um, certainly there was some, there was absolutely some fear and some nervousness about what is this process going to look like? Um, and there were, you know, I had, there were all these other kind of life plans that were tied into this decision um, to kind of, that I had to defer in order to, to do this. And nobody, it's a, it's a weird space to say, you know, to have your doctors say, Hey, you can try this. And we have no idea what's going to happen. Right. Um, yeah. Not whether, just physically, but emotionally as well. Right. Exactly. And my endocrinologist warned me, she said, you know, I, I expect that the first few months will be really miserable. And after that, 
we don't really know. And she talked to some of her mentors and they said, we don't really know if this is going to work. It might take six months. It might take six years. We don't know if it's possible at all. Um, so I went off hormones and the first week or two is actually probably the wildest just emotionally because you know, as your body switches from one to the other, mm -hmm. you're pretty deregulated mm -hmm. um, in that week or two. After that, it, it, so that week was just wild or really maybe two weeks was pretty wild emotionally up and down and kind of all over the place. But after that, it settled, I think, fairly quickly, but, but slowly kind of sank into this realization of uh, over time, this I had this kind of realization that this is this is what I was like before. Oh, like this, uh -huh. and you, I started to miss things. Right, there is this, at least my experience of being on estrogen and testosterone blockers was one of having significantly more access to my feelings, for example, and being back on testosterone. You know, while still presenting female to the rest of the world, there was no you know, there was no significant change. I don't think that the, the people closest to me could tell that things were different, uh, but I don't think the general public would have been aware. But to me, the experience was pretty dramatic, uh, although gradual, this kind of realization that, oh, I'm missing the things again. And this is how I existed for the first 30 years of my life was in this state where I don't know if it's that I just had to bury all of the things to do it, or if I just didn't have as much access to my feelings. Um, I've found that on testosterone, I'm I'm much flatter. Flatter. So um, that's a that's a good word for it. I, that's a word that came to mind when you were discuss you know um, describing that because I think, uh, but this time you were sort of on the outside, on the inside, looking in. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, did that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> um, sort of an out of out of body experience, I guess, is is what we would think about it as. But um, was that scary for you? Did you were you worried? Am I going to get back to where I was? You know, when you get back on yeah, your, yeah, I was really worried about that. I I mean, I spent a good deal of time talking to my therapist about you know like what what what's going to happen when I go back on hormones? Do I go back to who I was when I was on hormones the first time? Is it some kind of weird conglomeration of, you know, what uh, the mix of all of this? I had asked my first therapist early on, you know, could I have come to this place of being myself and of having access to my feelings and of kind of feeling whole without having gone through transition at all? Was it just work that I needed to do, you know, in therapy? And oh, uh, we had a discussion sure. about that. He's right. like, well, you tell me. And I was like, I don't think so. I think I had to be myself to be able to feel like myself. But yeah, there was a lot of fear about right. what does this look like at the back end when I go back on hormones? Right. And I, and what kind of strain, if any, did it put on your relationship? I mean, you know, you both went in eyes wide open open because your partner was with you because of who you are you know when you are where you were when you met her and didn't know this person right. before that right and so that would so even though you might all be prepared and eyes wide open there there might 
if she starts experiencing this emotional abyss from you, it could be interpreted as oh, you're leaving the relationship or there's something wrong or, right? I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm just projecting or guessing that maybe some of these things came up in conversation of, hey, are we good here? Yeah. Um, so we actually, she did know me before I transitioned, um, certainly not in the same way. Oh, she did. I didn't um, know that. My mistake. She did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously not nearly, not in the same way and not, not closely or not as closely, but it, even with that, it was, it was really significant in a way that I don't think either one of us expected. I think we were both a bit surprised by how significant the emotional toll was just in that I wasn't really myself. Um, I wasn't nearly as expressive or emotional or available or aware of myself, of her, of her feelings, my feelings, our, you know, feelings together. Um, it was a pretty significant year worth of doing this. Um, and really, I mean, my energy changed, I think would be the words that she would use to say that it the, really was much more masculine energy when I was not on hormones, which is relatively unsurprising. Yeah, it is. It is unsurprising in some regard. Um, and in but it's your your story obviously is fascinating and especially for me i'm a reproductive biologist we we work with um this community a lot as you know on the under the premises that we met and i and as you know everybody's story is different but i think the one constant that i hear from a lot of people in this situation is that they once they started their cross hormones they felt at home they felt like oh here it i mean absolutely I've, I've arrived kind of a thing like a sense of calm or well-being mm -hmm. and then to go back and say okay <laughs> i'm gonna go back to that and give that up is again an ask and not even knowing if sperm production was going to occur and, and in your situation right. you know it, it did there was success and of course as you know i'm fascinated by that as well <laughs> and i think the medical community is and you're a, an amazing person, but you're also, and I hate to say it, a, a really fascinating case study. You know, one of the reasons why the story is important and even necessary to try and publish it, even as a, a case study, is that there are going to be other people that will see themselves in certain facets of that or in all of it, Or, but it's an important component to normalize something that is very um, difficult, right? Absolutely. No, I, I mean, I think We've talked about that a bit, and I, I think it's so important just because there isn't real research, which to some extent makes sense. It's a small population, and also most of the time people aren't trying to uh, take breaks from their hormones to do this. But I think, well, and I'm hopeful that in the future, as more and more people have language at a younger age, that people come out younger and, and can make decisions about things in a little bit more of an informed way, um, that there's not quite the same social pressure that there was, you know, when I was when I was growing up. But I think on the road to that place, there are going to be, and I already know of several people who have started to ask these same questions about, well, what what happens? Is this possible? Can I do this? What are the side effects? What does it mm -hmm. feel like? Did it mm -hmm. work? How long did it take? 
Right. So I think publishing it is really important to me. It, me too. I think so too. I think it's a, it would be a great service for the science community. I think on the other level too, we have, as you talked about, we have younger kids that want to transition. So they're on their puberty blockers. And, you know, that means that they're not going to reach the level of puberty that they need to produce gametes like, like oocytes or sperm. And what do we what do we do with that? And so there's that avenue of study that we're looking at for their reproductive potential or future. But then for people who didn't store sperm prior to transitioning and then end up in a situation where they want to unring that bell for a little bit, um, this is where your your story comes in and can be, well, I know of a case that tried this and this was the this was the outcome. And that's where that the, where this story leads us, right? And so I think all of those things are really, really important to try and achieve a pregnancy. I don't know if that's still on your list. I know that, that for you storing sperm, you wanted that to be an option if that's where you wanted to go with it and also to allow you to be off your hormones for less time. Right, exactly. I think that's mostly it was about, and when we talked, when when my girlfriend kind of brought all of this up and asked the questions, I realized that I had to make the decision for me because to go off of hormones and go down this road needed to be something that I was doing for my own self, um, maybe in the context of this relationship, but also just to say, this is something that I'm specifically choosing to do for myself. Because if you go down that road and it doesn't end well, or it, you know, you're not successful, or there are so many different possible outcomes, I had to kind of say, I'm only going to hold my own self responsible for this decision. So that means I have to do it for myself. Um, and I think regardless of what we choose to do in the future, I feel much better now being able to say there are options. Right. Of course. And that's where, you know, storing reproductive potential is, is, that it just opens that door wide open to say there are options. And that's, yeah. you know, obviously that's right. where we came in, but, and that was, and I'm, I'm really happy that that existed for you. And I'm, I mean, I'm just really ex glad we met for all, for all the reasons stated. Plus I just think you're a pretty amazing person. But having said that, um, I think that this leads me into a topic that I have not discussed with you. And so I'd like to explore this concept with you of sexual identity and gender identity um, for a minute. You were a natal male, meaning you were male at birth, and, and but as you grew up, you were attracted to women. And so society saw you as heterosexual. But once you transitioned and, and based on the relationship you were in, society would now see you as lesbian. And so... I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, your sexual attraction has not changed. So nothing for you has changed. But if I were telling your story to uh, you know, a group of people or my students, they would have expected you, as you transitioned, since you were heterosexual, that you would be heterosexual after you transitioned, which means that, that you would now want to be in a relationship with somebody who presented as male or natal male. Um, so they confuse the two of sexual identity or orientation and gender identity and gender expression. And can you can you give us some thoughts on that? Um, where that 
you know, what that triggers for you or what, what can you enlighten us on with the respect to that? Well, I don't know that I can enlighten anyone. I, I think, so one of the things that's so interesting about this is that it is deeply individual. Um, I, certainly there's a societal lack of understanding, although that I think is changing uh, around gender identity versus sexual orientation, right? That how we present to the world or how we identify in terms of male, female, or you know, non-binary, take your pick of other words or identities. Everybody has, um, you, you know, there are, there are many, many that I'm not even familiar with even being part of the trans community. And that is not the same as who we are attracted to, although I'm not certain that those things aren't related in some way. Uh, at least I think that there's a huge amount of how we see ourselves that relates to how we interact with uh, other people as a whole, not just in a who we're attracted to. But I think there is some confusion that who we're attracted to is not necessarily tied to how we identify in terms of our own sex or gender. Um, and I think even in this community, though, it's deeply personal because I know people who, you know, they were born male and then at some point maybe came out as gay, attracted to other men, and then went through transition from male to female and then maintained their attraction to men and so went from, you know, through multiple stages of that changing. And then I think other stories are more similar to mine where my attraction hasn't changed from, you know, as long as I can remember. Um, right. Although in general, I think attraction, the gender that I'm attracted to hasn't changed, although attraction itself is different as being a woman. Oh, okay. That's interesting. But in what way? Oh, I mean, so <laughs> probably a lot of ways, but one of the things that I think is, fascinating is that, and I can't tell how much of this is tied to hormones or to me kind of becoming my own self, but I think that I find a much wider range of people attractive now than I did before transition. Um, I think that I uh, I think I see people differently than I did. I think I see the depth of people in a way that I did not before. Um, and it's something that at least I'm aware of. I'm not sure if anybody else is aware of that, it, it, you know, in me, but I'm deeply aware of it in my own self. Do you think that ties into the fact that you were more cut off from your feelings when you... Okay. I do. So... That so maybe it was always there, it just wasn't being expressed. Right. There's so much that I, what I have told people when I talk about the different ways you can, or, or that I have seen or observed in the trans community that, that folks have gotten through this is uh, at least what I have observed is folks either fit into the category where, where I did, where generally speaking, you just kind of shut everything down. You just don't have any feelings so that you don't have to feel the dysphoria and the pain of not being able to be yourself, um, which allows you to function in society in a way that is uh, kind of societally acceptable. 
especially if you're a natal male, right? Not having a dramatic emotional spectrum is not abnormal. Um, so there's some things that you do to shut down those feelings that actually allows you to fit in better in some ways. Um, it also cuts off, you know, the depth of your own feeling, which is deeply problematic in interpersonal relationships. But it's, you know, the other spectrum is folks who have deep feelings and don't bury it and then tend to have more significant anxiety, depression kind of surrounding their gender identity. I didn't have any of that because I didn't have really any feelings. I just buried everything. Right. And so, and I know for some of um, my experience in, in working with this community is that they work to be they, maybe they start to realize their feelings and so then they work to be more of that gender than they were. So let's say, for instance, they might do what would be considered more masculine things like I'm going to go do some risk taking and some skydiving and some you know, <laughs> rock climbing and, and do these adrenaline things to to prove that I don't have this underlying feeling of I don't want to be in this in this um body kind of thing. So they overcompensate by trying to hide it instead of, uh, uh, you know, suppress it and not feel anything. They might work to feel, try to feel something in the, in the assigned gender they were given. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Join the army, go to ranger school. (laughs) (laughs) Something Um, like that. Well, uh, yeah. Present company excluded. Um, I actually really didn't connect that dot, but thanks for doing that for me. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. Um, yes. Well, it's funny. It leads to a whole different segment of this, which is that then there's a difference between our gender identity, which was, you know, who we deeply feel ourselves to be, you know, so I deeply feel myself to be female. That's very, very clear to me. Um, and I love my job in the army and mm-hmm. I ride motorcycles and I rock climb and I might partake in other risk-taking activities like skydiving. (laughs) Maybe all of the things you mentioned are things that I enjoy. And so then you get into this kind of what is an activity that I like that I've been conditioned to believe is a gendered activity uh, and what's how do you kind of mesh those things or come to an understanding of yourself where, you know, I like to work on my vehicles. I like to pull apart my car and my motorcycle. And that doesn't affect my sense of being female. Right. Yeah. And I and I think that that's an important distinction because I was raised in when my day, they called me a tomboy. And also, I probably identify, if we look at the three spectrums of personality as masculine, feminine, and androgynous, I score very high androgyny because, you know, I I hunt and fish and hike and I played sports and I wasn't really interested in playing with dolls. I always wanted to be doing, you know, riding my bicycle on the dirt track and popping wheelies and things like that. But I could also put on a dress and go to the prom and feel just as at home doing that as well. And so for me, I I was very secure in what that meant, what that felt, and it was okay. I mean, and unfortunately, women are or fortunately, I don't know which is, but women are given a lot of latitude. You know, we can gender bend all we want. We can put on jeans and a t-shirt and not wear makeup and cut our hair or, you know, and also 
put a dress on and go out. Nobody blinks. Like it, nobody blinks. It didn't matter how I dressed when I showed up for class. Nobody said, "Oh, that's very masculine," or "You look very feminine today." Nobody blinked. But if you know, Bill did that, and one day he shows up in a skirt, people would go, "You know what? What up? You know what? What's going on? You know, while you're closing the laundry, or you know, like people are, do not give men that latitude of freedom of gender expression." Or actually even straddling the middle of the road. And so, you know, you wanting to do those things isn't an indication of your um, gender expression or how you feel deeply inside. It's just part of your personality. And unfortunately, I think in all of this, this can these waters can get really muddy. This line can get blurred for people. And they might think, oh, I can't do those things because I'll be that that'll appear that I'm very masculine. Right. I think that's, it, yeah, it's a whole fascinating thing. It is. It is. I, I, can I say yeah. something? Okay. So I have a very, I have a good um, friend who's also a trans woman. And Betsy, I said a similar thing once that I think that women have more latitude, at least um, assigned female at birth, have more latitude to, to act masculine. And she said, well, that's only because masculine is the dominant culture. And so it's preferred. And so it's kind of this reverse psychology of, yes, you can act masculine because who wouldn't want to act masculine because it's the dominant culture. Whereas if a male acts feminine, then that male is perceived as he's giving up his power. And that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think the way I like to say that, we, we, our culture has devalued being female. For sure. Right. Yeah. And so, it, it's so, then you can be masculine and it's okay. Yeah. Well, I never saw myself as being masculine when I was doing those things. I, I don't, I mean, I right. don't, I never attach gender to my activity ever. <laughs> but also, I mean, of course right. Not. I didn't have to, right? I was, I, I was lucky in that regard. I mean, I think people would, might have said those things, but nobody, I never, I never thought and never have and never will think that things have gender. Like, I don't think color has gender. I don't think jobs have gender. I don't think, you know. But, but enough people do, because I was, I was going to say that I, I know a lot of people who uh, would see a, a transgender female doing a lot of those activities and say, well, then why, why do you consider yourself female if you still want to do all those you know, and that, that male, if you still want to do all these male type activities, like I definitely know some people that that would, that would really confuse the issue and, and, um, make it extra hard to understand the concept. Um, and I'm speaking of people who, who have a hard time understanding the concept of trans to begin with. Right. Um, but I can see where, where for some people that, those activities muddy the waters of of being able to understand what it means to to have a gender identity that might be different than your body. Well, I don't think it's fair to say that people lose their get to lose their personality or their or their oh no you know, I their passions. I mean, that's just, just weird to me. I, I I just am thinking of some people. I know I know, I know you specifically are. that <laughs> me too. <laughs> would yeah. be very confused. <laughs> Got that. So yes, I think it's confusing for people, but it's also confusing for me, right? So that's the thing. It's not just confusing for other people. Like this is a thing that I have had to deal with in my own psyche to say, what does it mean for me to say, 
I'm female and I deeply identify this way. And also I like all these other things that I grew up assuming like those are just the things that boys did. Right. And mostly boys did them. And so it wasn't that I thought of them as gendered until I transitioned. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is weird. But does that make you, Er. does that make you, when you do those things, does it make you question your, where you are now? Or does it remind you of a time where, that you don't want to be reminded of? Or do you just say, ah, I just, screw it. I like doing these things. Like, where do you, is this a, is this a constant conversation you have? With yourself? No, it's it is not a constant conversation. I think now I'm mostly at the point where I'm like, screw it, this is just who right. I am. <laughs> like, and these are the things I like. But that takes a while, at least for me, it took a while to get to the point where I could say, no, like I can still lift weights and do this, you know, with some frequency and that I'm just gonna be who I am and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of reading and working through, and I think Julia Serrano's book, Whipping Girl, was probably the most significant help in me trying to parse out, you know, gender identity versus presentation versus kind of personality or or what we like to do versus orientation. Uh, That was, she was really the one that helped me work through all of that. Now that I've worked through it, it's a less pressing thing. It doesn't come up as often, but it still does sometimes, you know, people look at you funny or you get questions and you're like, oh yeah, I have to deal with this. Yeah. Right. Like in my own. Yeah, sure. And I think, um, but I think all of these are, are very important, very important um, concepts that I, that aren't really discussed. And people think that they might be the only person who's experiencing that, or they feel like they have to be the perfect, what they feel is the perfect female or the perfect male, regardless, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever way they are transitioning. And I, I feel that, that's a heavy, heavy load to carry. And one that in my mind is unfortunate and, 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 and definitely societally based. Right. And so, but you, you know, we, we're still struggling with gender. We're, we struggle with, you know, boys and girls jobs and boy and girl colors. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing and it's 2021 and we still, we still do this. And, Absolutely. You know, and what, you know, I think what's really interesting, and I think about this, when Bill and I were first married, every year for Christmas, I would give him a power tool, like a a, a drill or a saw or a sander. <laughs> <laughs> and, he looked, and finally, one year, he just looked at me and goes, I don't, I don't use these. And I go, I know I do. <laughs> and I go, and then it just dawned on me, I was buying them for myself because I like woodworking. <laughs> And he just laughed so hard. It was just really funny because he's like, oh, thanks. I will never use this. Yeah, another tool I'm not going to use. I mean, he does, but it was just so funny. It just became pretty obvious that obviously I thought he should because I wanted these tools. And so I should just buy them for him. I don't know. It's just so weird, right? Just so weird. And yet I grew up doing whatever I wanted. And yet somehow I felt like I should not ask for power tools for Christmas, which is... (laughs) We're way past that now, but you know, it's just a, it's just this mind vortex that yeah. even those who, no matter how awake we are, we can get caught in it and and uh, you know, hopefully not drown. But yeah, I think it's the brainwashing all brainwashing can be strong. Yeah, the brainwashing can be strong, and then of course add to that that you're in the military, and so 
I would kind of like to circle back to that quickly. Um, what was that for like for you when you when you transitioned in the military? I mean, that's I I don't I'm not in the military, but I I would imagine that that was probably pretty scary. You know, I so upfront, I had a really, really great experience. I will say that I have been remarkably lucky, you know, both with my, with my family, with my friends, with my job, but certainly it was nerve wracking coming out to my boss the first time. Um, and, you know, at the time it was late 2016, you know, December, January, 2017. And, and he asked me, you know, we had a kind of private conversation. He was like, Hey, I just, I want you to be aware of what I perceive to be the climate in this country right now. Uh, and I understand that this is important to you. And I have some concerns that this could be a challenging time. Uh, and that maybe this will be a difficult thing to carry out in this particular climate over the next several years. And, uh, you know, at that point, I, I knew the risks of that and just said, you know, I, I've, I've been waiting 30 years, you know, my whole life to do this. I don't, I don't, I think I just have to take the plunge and do it regardless of what the consequences are at this point, uh, regardless of how hard it was. And I, my personal experience has been really, really good. I've had good reception from pretty much everyone, um, you know, and it's, it's actually been this kind of homecoming to be able to come back to a brigade combat team where I started my career, not this particular one. And to kind of finally feel at home and to feel like myself and to not have to hide uh, who I was and to be welcomed fully into the fold because I was being myself. You know, right. I kind of had this fear that I would be ostracized for being a trans woman. There aren't, you know, that many of us. Um, and certainly being an officer makes me significantly more visible when I first came to the unit, the one of the senior folks there said, hey, look, at the end of your time here, somewhere close to 15,000 people will have probably heard of you or interacted with you in your capacity in this unit. So what they think of you will be what they think of trans people in the military. So don't mess oh, up. Oh, wow. wow. That's no not pressure. A, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you know, he meant it well. And also, and he was, he wasn't wrong. And that's the thing. It was, a, it was a tough, challenging thing to have him say, and he wasn't wrong. Yeah, It was going to be that way. And, and to my really great surprise, it has been for the most part delightful. I've had a few not stellar interactions, but even those have just been okay. I've had folks that seem a little bit uncomfortable, but I haven't had any kind of confrontation or open hostility. I would say that's been non-existent and folks have just generally cared about me being competent and then me being my actual authentic honest self matters way more than i thought it would actually so in in saying that and i think there's a there's a lot of validity and when we're when we are being authentic we are very balanced and we're very um centered in in that concept so that it's it's not easy for someone to tip us over or to to make us feel an off balance and that's that's an important starting point um but when you do meet somebody who hasn't met you before or doesn't know your story do you explain to them that you are trans female or do you just present 
It's funny that you ask that question. I'm doing a talk next week um, for some cadets at West Point, and they asked for a bio, and it's completely unrelated to me being trans. And I asked a friend, you know, because the bio I gave you has a whole bit about me doing some trans advocacy, but the the talk I'm doing is really just about some army PT stuff, the physical therapy and physical training um, and, and physical fitness testing. And so I had to ask my best friend, I was like, hey, do you think I should put this in my bio? Should I leave it out? Like, it's not really relevant to the subject matter. Um, and she was like, no, I don't think you put it in there. Like, I think, you know, we need to get to a point where you don't have to explain this and you don't feel like you have to explain it every time that you, you know, do something or, or have it be public. And so it was just a really interesting discussion that we had about what does that look like in the future? Because I will tell you, it generally depends on the interaction. Some people, I mean, I have a trans flag and a pride flag in my office. Um, I also have a Ranger flag and a United States flag and an <laughs> Afghan flag. And I mean, I have lots of flags. I love the flags, but yeah, but those are there. So, and sometimes people are like, Hey, what's that flag? You know, everybody knows the pride flag, but nobody knows what the trans yeah, flag is unless know. they right. know. So people ask that question and then, you know, sometimes there's discussion about that and you'd be surprised how many people know somebody who's trans. Right. Um, and so Sometimes it comes up in conversation. I, I definitely know that there are people in my life who don't know whether they're patients or, you know, friends or whatever. There are people who aren't necessarily aware on meeting me that this is who I am. They're not. I'm always a little bit surprised if people don't know just because, you know, I'm six foot two and I still work out pretty hard. And it's, I don't generally assume that I pass for natal female for the most part. Um, that's an, That's interesting. Uh, Huh. I mean, there's just not a lot of people who are 6'2 and who are female and who are fairly muscular. And, you know, but then you do, you run into people in the grocery store and they're like, did you play college basketball? And I'm like, <laughs> no. You're not <laughs> no, part of the WNBA. But I, but I appreciate that you think that I played college ball. So I'm going to just go about my day with a smile because that makes me feel great about myself. Right. Yeah. Well, we have a, a a good friend of ours. Their daughter is six, Is she's six feet tall. And, um, you yeah. know, and she, and, so I mean, they're out there. They they exist. Um, they are. And you know, I'm five two, five. Well, okay, I'm five three, maybe five five in heels, but super jelly. You know, you're <laughs> six two, and so. Um, but you know, it's I've, I I'm I'm always surprised how short I am when I see myself in a picture. Like, who's that short person? But anyway, um, but I can see where you think about and you use the word um, pass and. So it kind of leads me to another thought of this word we used early on called going stealth. And have you come across that concept? Um, and for some people that I've talked to that are trans, they feel that that's a disservice to the trans community to not qualify yourself always as trans. Listening to you, I, I think there are some situations that it's it's not, I mean, the importance of it maybe isn't the forefront. Like you're giving a speech and is it important that they know that about you or is it important that they understand the concept of what you're talking about? Yeah. And would and would you, being introduced as a transgender woman, would that be a distraction for them and not hear the message that you're there to present? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a couple of things there. One is I will always emphatically support anybody's decision to be stealth. I think that is a deeply personal, being out is a deeply personal decision. And if somebody doesn't want to have discussions with strangers um, or anyone about having about being trans or having transitioned, I will always fully support that. I don't think anybody, I don't think any trans person owes it to anybody on the planet to be out or public about their uh, status as a trans person any more than anybody else is obligated to be out about whatever secrets they have or whatever things about them that, you know, we don't require you to tell everybody that, well, I've had cancer or take your pick of, and I use that not to say that pathologies are the same, but just to say that I think everybody's private business gets to be their private business. I think there's some amount of, you know, everybody has to work out their own interpersonal disclosure and what that looks like for them. Um, But I'm deeply supportive of folks who are able to do that. I, you know, I never really intended to be as out as I am, honestly. Um, I just kind of, well, first of all, I never expected this to go well. Uh, I'm really quite shocked actually that, you know, it's okay in society to be me and that I have friends and people that I just, I really did not, I'm overwhelmed by how well this has gone. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it, but also I just kind of wanted to have my own little, you know, quiet life being myself. Uh, and then one day my friend was like, Hey, do you want to do an interview with Buzzfeed? And I was like, sure. Why not? And then, you know, Mm -hmm. the rest is history as they say. And all of a sudden, you know, I had a patient come in the other day and be like, you're kind of like, people know who you are. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> She's like, you are kind of famous. And I was like, I'm not famous thinking, you know, like I have some people that work with me that like to say this all the time. And I'm like, three people know who I am. That's it. Nobody knows. I'm, you know, only trans military people know who I am, but, and even then not all of them, but you know, she had seen my name somewhere and then Googled me. And then, then I Googled me one time and I was like, Oh, oh. this is what happens when you're like, when you're out, out in the world and you talk to the media is all of a sudden, like, there's no, for me, there's, I mean, there is no putting the cat back in the bag like this. I'm out forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, unless you just decide to completely go off grid and, you know, live, you know, in that life. Well, but even then, yeah. I mean, the, uh, all of the web history right. is That's still true. there. True, true that. Of course. Uh, which I didn't quite understand when I first decided to be so out. <laughs> but you know, I think <clears throat> for me in hearing your story, part of the process of you being so out there was organic. You know, it was you was it was yes. you being you, it was you doing what you do, it was you saying, "Hey, let me educate the military on what this is." That's why you testified, you know, and um those that's that's not necessarily that's you being you in in your natural process, and there's a lot, and yes. so many good things came out of that, and and that's why you know doing giving us this interview for this podcast. Of course, we are extremely grateful, and I think you know we we hope to have younger listeners with us today and or listening in when this uh, is available. And what kind of you know not that not to put you on the spot or anything and I don't and like you said you don't have all the answers but what kind of advice or encouragement can you give them we have 
you know, through cryogam, we see a lot of kiddos. We see kids transitioning at younger ages and and we see them in great situations where the parents are super supportive. And we also see them in situations where one parent is supportive and the other parent is, is mispronouning. And, you know, um, all the yeah. way to we've had parents screaming at each other in the waiting room where I've had to tell them to go outside, you know. And so, oh, yeah, I mean, and then so we have the whole gamut of what we see on that. And and those are the kids that have had the courage or the the desire to to come out at that age and say I want to transition and on some level there are these adults in their in their lives saying well what about your reproductive potential let's think about that and so that that's yeah. a good that was a good thing for them because um, it's hard for them to right. think about and and yet we have kids that are shut off and don't feel safe and are maybe going through what you did where they just are are living in a, in a numbed sense. And so what, what can we do for that? What, what advice do you have? What can we, what word can we spread for that? I know it's not a, you know, it's not a one size fits all, but what would you tell your younger self? What I guess, I mean, I think, you know, I, it's really an interesting question to, and I've thought about this, before, like, what, what would I tell myself? Or what, what do you tell somebody else in this situation? And I, it's hard because you don't want to just gloss over the pain and the difficulty of this whole process. I've said to many people that I would not wish this on anyone. Um, right. It's a, it's a difficult, painful thing. And who I am now today is by far the best the best version of myself that I've ever been. Um, and I'm happier and more whole. And I mean, I there I did not ever imagine a future that could look like this. Uh, I mean, even four years ago when I came out, it the reason I had to come and do this work with you is I didn't save sperm before going on hormones because I couldn't imagine a future in which I would feel good enough in myself to want to have another kid. Um, right. Like that oh, just wow. was right. You know, like that, there was just no way it was never going to be okay. I just knew that I had to do it even assuming that it was not going to go well. And, and what I have found is that even the people that I know who have gone through really horrific family situations or work situations or peer situations, they have all come out the other side. And even in the midst of it have been happier being themselves um, in a pretty overwhelmingly dramatic sense. Like I would say that that is the, by far the vast majority of the experiences that I've observed is that we're all way better being ourselves, even if the conditions at any point in time, you know, in, before transition, during transition, or afterwards, even if the conditions are miserable, being whole is so significant that it's hard to put into words um, because I'm not sure that we have language around that. Right. Really. I don't think we do. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, I mean, growing up is hard enough, you know, and then you add this an extra layer, extra layer yeah of of discovery and it's it can be really daunting 
It is. Yeah, for sure. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Yes, this has been very enlightening. It's been lovely. It has been lovely. Um, and, you know, uh, I know there's another, there's a couple other layers here that I would like to explore. So we may want to, we may want to rattle you up again and, and, and uh, have another conversation because yeah. there's this whole new life that you are involved in that is interesting in and of itself. And um, we would, I would like to get into that as well. So I hope you'll, you'll give us another opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I certainly will. Yeah. Great. So thank you so much. And um, I will be connecting with you because I'm going to start looking at that data that you've sent me and we'll, we'll get your, your story out there medically because that's important too. Perfect. Sure. Yeah. That's really exciting. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. It was great to meet You're you. You're so welcome. Yes. All right. We'll talk soon. So, Mandy, that was your first experience talking with Liv, and yeah. did you find her as interesting as I? Oh, super! Would? Like she, she's got an incredible story, and um, yeah, a lot of be interested to hear a little bit more about her current life and yeah, and how yeah. things are going as well. But I thought it was really interesting her talking about um, how important it is to feel whole and to mm -hmm. to really be yourself because. Even outside of the trans community, that's something I really push in my classes and that I teach to my students is how important it is to be true to who you are and mm -hmm. um, living your authentic life. And I just thought that was a neat kind of connection because it doesn't really matter who you are, what you're experiencing, being true to yourself is a, a nice path to happiness. Right, and I think in her situation, by cutting off her emotions, it probably saved her from some of the psychotic or not psychotic, but psychological break that mm -hmm. you can have because imagine knowingly knowing, like on the surface, cognizantly knowing that you're leading a double right. life for those years. And, and she even talked, touched on that for the few years that she and her wife, you know, kept that kept secret. That secret. Yeah. That had to be intense. And only expressing that in the company of your home and the safety of that person yeah and yeah. that's that's what's happening for a lot of our young people who haven't transitioned right. yet and are hiding who they are and right they're living that while they're trying to be just regular teenagers going through regular teenage stuff and yeah and to be told if they do come out that it's just a phase and they'll outgrow it and you yeah. know give it some time or you know what yeah. <laughs> we know all this all the shortcuts and sayings of that but i think that um I think her story is definitely one of encouragement and she is so joyful. Yeah, and I think it's a really inspirational story for a lot of people that maybe are scared to to travel this road and, and um, make the decision to transition or whatever, you know. Obviously not everybody has such a positive experience in, in the coming out process, but, but I think it's inspirational to hear when people do especially in circumstances that you think aren't going to be as positive, like coming out in the military. Right. My goodness. And that was encouraging. <laughs> I mean, I think we, you know, often don't consider, or we automatically are going to assume that that had to have been hideous to come out in the military and that it was very scary and she, you know, was threatened and, and she indicated that she didn't, that it was, it was very straightforward, but, you know, and hopefully she's not the exception to yeah. the rule. But yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to um, have her back because yeah. I do want you to hear the other part of her life going forward. It is very interesting. 
I would for sure love to hear that song. This podcast was created to promote Look Both Ways and the textbook written by Dr. Cairo. That's me. Look Both Ways is a nonprofit organization based in Loveland, Colorado, with a mission to educate our youth about their reproductive health to make informed decisions for their future. We do this by educating the educators through professional development. We also put on free conferences for both teens and parents of teens and preteens. Textbooks used in schools are donated by Look Both Ways to eliminate the money obstacle for schools interested in piloting or adopting our curriculum and textbook. As a nonprofit, we are always fundraising and accepting donations. For more information about Look Both Ways, our fundraising efforts, or to make a donation, please visit lookbothways.us. That's L-O-O-K-B-O-T-H-W-I-S dot U-S. This is Dr. B and Mandy Johnson wishing you well. Be sure and catch all our episodes of It's Not Human Sexuality on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.